Come on. Yeah, thankful. Thankful as we enter another year uh, of our uh, annual meeting. Now a week behind us, we look ahead and incredibly thankful for your time, your treasure, your talent that moves us forward as a church family as we look ahead to all that God has for us. And this being one of the ways, I remember four years ago when we uh, came to Hillcrest, the big heart for uh, the widows and the orphans and how meaningful that was for us personally as a family. And so thankful for different things like this that help that continue to be part of our uh, DNA, our values around here. And I uh, hope you got to celebrate with, uh, with some root beer floats downstairs, the value of Father's Day and celebrating Father's Day and what this day means for some of us. Uh, and also through CareNet, uh, dropping in your baby bottles and just the continued uh, value we have in that relationship with CareNet for those that might be contemplating whether they want to bring their uh, child into the world. We look at stories like this, our personal story, and we are incredibly thankful to continue to part with CareNet and resources to support young moms that are wrestling. But I also understand that maybe not all of us have a good relationship with our father, and that relationship could, could be challenging or could be hurtful. And so uh, just a reminder that God is our good, good father and that he's adopted us into his family. And so we celebrate uh, at the end of the day that spiritual reality. So we're continuing in Luke, uh, and I need a volunteer just as we jump in. Is someone willing to volunteer? Otherwise, you're going to be voluntold to come on up here. But I'm hoping for a volunteer. Is someone willing to volunteer? Anyone? Anyone? Eric? Anyone? Anyone? All right. So, so come on up, Eric. And, uh, and so in this illustration, and he, I think he walks on water. In this illustration, Eric, Eric is going to be playing Jesus. So if you could just go on that side, Eric. Um, and if you know Eric, I mean, this guy is about as close to godliness as you can get. So maybe there's, <laughs> and how, how tired are you? You just ran a, a marathon yesterday? I did, I did. I mean, um, I sat in the lake for 15 minutes after, so that helped her every time. <laughs> um, lake Superior, 40 degrees. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you're, but you're going to walk a little bit this way. So just, just a little prep. So in this illustration, Eric is Jesus, and, and, and last week we learned, right, there's a compelling call of what it means to follow him. There's a compelling invitation of what it means to follow Jesus, and, and yet what it feels like sometimes in Western evangelical culture is, is this is what happens. So as Jesus starts walking towards us, which I believe he does, calling us, and we're walking towards him, that there, there comes this moment where we interact, and, and we hear about the death, burial, resurrection of our Savior, and we get introduced to him. You mind shaking my hand, or am I just going to hold it out like this? So we, we, we introduce ourselves. We, we get introduced, and we become connected to our Savior. And then all of a sudden, what seems to happen is we say, so thank you, Jesus. It's, it's so nice to meet you, and, and continue on our way. And we, we ask Jesus to join us in what we're doing and our aspirations and the things that we want to continue to find joy in doing. And, and that feels like what embodies... Western evangelical culture. Instead, what did we see last week? Jesus actually sees it slightly different. So we get to know him. We start walking towards him and, and we meet him. We hear about the death, burial, resurrection of our Savior. And, and now we actually start following him. We actually start joining him in what he's up to and, and, and his mission for the world. Thank you, Eric. You want to give Eric a hand? Because last week, here, here were the words. 
And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, it's not that Jesus is somehow opposed to a home. It's not that he's saying you should never go to a funeral, much less your father's. But he is making this call to say, is there anything in this life that supersedes the preeminence that Jesus has in our life? And I love what he calls this person to. He says, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In this text, we're going to walk through, there's an inevitable byproduct. The inevitable byproduct of those that claim to follow Jesus, those that follow Jesus, go. They can't help but want to share about the joy they've experienced. That they can't help but want to invite others into this experience of life with Christ. And it's a beautiful text. So unlike other weeks where we usually read all the verses at once and then walk through it, we're going through 24 verses today. So buckle up. But we're going through 20 verses, 24 verses. So we're going to try and walk through the flow of the text of what Luke has invited us into. Because this is what it feels like Luke is doing. After we determine there's nothing better than following Jesus, the next step is clear to Luke. We are then sent by Jesus to be a part of his mission, proclaiming the kingdom of God. There's an inevitable expression. And so pray with me as we, uh, as we jump in to hear from God through uh, Luke this morning. Uh, God, you are always so kind, so generous to us in our journey with you. Uh, Wherever we find ourselves, whatever might be competing for our affections this morning, may we hear this clear call. Those who follow you will go to our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplace, our world with a greater sense of purpose to proclaim the arrival of your kingdom and invite as many people into that. And so reveal yourself as we go through Luke 10 this morning, always for your glory. Amen. So there's going to be a deliberate flow in Luke's mind, and where he starts is this preparation, that Jesus prepares his people as he sends them. And the place he starts, it's a team sport. He doesn't send them to go be religious Rambos running and gunning in the Midwest. He sends them as a team. Here's what it says. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of them, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. That there was a team mentality that he was encouraging his disciples to go with. And then he gives them a compelling why. He sends them out with with an utterly compelling why. Here's what he says. After this, the Lord appointed 72 and others, sent them two by two, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, that there are people in this life looking for hope and life, and yet they're chasing empty wells. Jesus turns to his disciples, and I think he says to us, the harvest is plentiful. There are people that actually would come to faith if you introduce them to Jesus. The harvest is plentiful. That this world 
is looking in hopeless wells. They're workaholics consumed in their jobs. And all they know is to give another 10 hours to their work. They're in broken marriages, broken relationships. And they're hoping, they're longing for something better. That they believe there could be something more. That They're severed from their friendships. They're lonely. They're hurting. They worship their kids. And all they do, they devote their life to their kids. And then once their kids are gone, their life on some level ends. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but then what does he say? The laborers are few. Because what doesn't he say? He doesn't say the converts are few. <laughs> he says the laborers are few. And so I was, I was, looking, I was looking at my house the other day, sitting, on, sitting in our living room, and I couldn't help but, but see this thing in the corner. You guys know what this is? You guys have seen a Roomba? So I tell Casey often, I tell Casey often, I'm going to clean the house today. She goes, it doesn't count if you just push the Roomba button. That does not count. That doesn't count. I'm like, well, it's, you know, it cleans the room. It's going to stir some things up. We bought this thing, right? I want to use it. But then here's the challenge. Like in order to use the Roomba, I have to spend a ton of time like moving things out of the way, right? I'm like, you should have just cleaned the room. should have just cleaned the house. But but what it feels like to me is, is I see this thing and it, it reminds me of, of the Western American church where, where we go to this charging station and we get charged up, we get filled up and then what does the Roomba inevitably do? After it goes to the charging station, what does it do? What? After it goes to the charging station, what does the Roomba do? The Roomba actually goes out. It's actually deployed to the house. Thank you, Sandy. <laughs> Helping the illustration land, Sandy. Help me. So the Roomba goes. The Roomba goes out. What it feels like sometimes in the church is, is we get plugged into the charging station. And I'm going to say that's our Sunday gathering where we gather collectively the church has been doing these gatherings for 2,000 years. We get plugged up. We experience God vertically through songs, through stories, through a sermon. And then what do we do? Not much sometimes. Until the next week where we come back and maybe check another box. Instead, the compelling call is to be sent. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. In our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our world, the harvest is plentiful and there are not nearly enough people going with the good news of Jesus. Because it's not simply making a convert, but actually helping someone see what it means to turn and continue to follow Jesus along his way. They too become a laborer in the fields. So there's a preparation and then Jesus continues. He prepares them and he sets some expectations for them. Here's what he says. He's going to tell them, this is how you go. After this, the Lord appointed 72. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Where do you think the first place Jesus is going to go on how we go? Get to work. But where does he start? Second service. I believe in you, second service. And how? What's the first thing he, he encourages them on the how? The first thing we're supposed to do? Pray. Yeah, to go and to pray. Prayer is the work. It's not just a catchy slogan. Therefore, 
pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the field. But sometimes I feel like, oh, uh, I'm taking too much responsibility on myself. Instead, as I go, the very first place is to pray. Prayer is the work for us around here. There's a value of desperate, dependent prayer that God is calling people. And so when you think of three to five people in your life that have yet to treasure Christ, who comes to mind? Maybe your family or in your workplace. Three to five people that immediately jump into the forefront of your mind. Who are they? You see them? What happens when they die? Feels like we live, if you remember that Francis Chan illustration, for the front part of that rope, that part of the tape, and there's an infinite eternity. So we ask around here, who is on our pray watch list? The very first place Jesus goes, he prepares them, and then he sets an expectation. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. And then we're going to do this in a little bit, but skip over it. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. In whatever house you enter first, peace be to this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from that house. What's he saying? I think for those that treasure Christ, as we go, we understand there's God's provision along the way. That there is a provision he is providing in and through the needs of our life. Not distant, not that he doesn't care about our needs, but there's a reliance upon him as we go. And I thought this was interesting in the text. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and (laughs) greet no one on the road. Because my mantra is, you know, I just feel like a stranger is a friend I haven't met yet, right? That's, that's usually my mantra. And I know you introverts are like, you know, if we just avoid everyone at all costs, my life would just be better. And then you go, see, it's biblical. Greet no one on the road. You're like, this is just, David, we're just trying to be biblical here. So when I see him say that, greet no one on the road, I don't think he's saying avoid people, like stay away from people. Instead, it seems to be saying, focus on the mission. There's going to be things that are going to distract you, small talk, you're going to want to just chat. Focus on the mission, right? That's the compelling call he's trying to offer us. And then there's this other element that I love because it doesn't feel like it is as prominent in our maybe Western evangelical view of Jesus. Um, we 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 love the friendly Jesus. And yet, there is an element where he says there is a warning to those who reject him. Here's what he says in the text on how we interact with those who we anticipate. The expectation, warning to those who reject. Here's what he says. Pick it up, verse 8. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you again as God's provision. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. But... Whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, this is Jesus giving them a a quote on how to communicate to those who would reject this call. Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I mean, I imagine, it's when I go to Paole uh, and play sand volleyball, right? 
And when I come home, Casey asks, are you dragging sand into my house right now? I mean, there's just sand that clings. What's the call? Even the sand, the dust that would cling from a town that rejects you. How do you, how do you feel the weight of those words from Jesus? There's a weight that says, this is serious. This life with Christ is serious. And so uh, he gives us some preparatory call to action. He gives us some expectation. And then the question is, do you think the spiritual enemy that is opposed to Christ loves when people come to faith in him? You would anticipate there's going to be some sense of rejection. Jesus alerts us to that reality. Here's what he says. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And then, like Tom said, he says, go. And how do we go? (laughs) Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. These aren't like two equal animals vying for, for, for dominance. Instead, he says, go as lambs in the midst of wolves. If you feel like you've experienced wolves in your interaction when you attempt to bring life with Christ into any sphere you're in? Uh, my fear is this, it's not just an awareness of a culture that would be longing for life with Christ. What it feels like now is happening is there's wolves from the inside that would start shifting some views about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. What it means to find life in him. Go your way because I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And then he begins to describe the rejection for us. But how much more for those that have yet to treasure Christ? Here's what he says. Pick it up at verse 11. Even the dust of your town that clings, we will wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. But I tell you, and this isn't our condemnation against others. That's not the way we live. Instead, we understand there is a trajectory of what would happen for someone's life that's opposed to Christ. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Corazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than you. This isn't the sweet, friendly Jesus that we sometimes might conceive of when we hear the gospel stories, but rather a seriousness to what it looks like for those that would not find life in Christ. He continues, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Instead, you should be brought down to Hades. And then back to us, the one who hears me, hears you, hears me, and the one who rejects you, they're not ultimately rejecting you, David. They're rejecting me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And so there's a recognition, right? He prepares his disciples before he sends them out. He gives them expectations, and then he anticipates rejection as you move forward, inviting people into life with Christ. The harvest is plentiful. Some will come to treasure Christ, but we're prepared for resistance. And we go warning those who reject Jesus that there is nothing worse than what awaits them. And yet there's a freedom they're not 
rejecting me, Jesus says. They're rejecting him who sent me. And then there's a beautiful turn. There is a response. There's a preparation, set some expectations, and awareness of rejection. And then the disciples come back. Anyone want to take a guess how they respond when they come back? Because sometimes I think you guys think I make this stuff up. The 72 returned with joy. What'd they come back with? Come on. There is happiness to be found in life with Christ and being a part of his mission. There is more happiness in Christ than anything else this life has to offer. And the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now imagine this. Imagine you go out. I haven't done this stuff, but I just imagine they're doing some crazy stuff. It said they healed in his name. They cast out demons in his name. They come upon a blind guy. They bring sight back to the blind guy. There's people foaming at the mouth. They cast out demons. What would you start to feel if you started participating in some of that action? Pretty cool. Here's what Jesus says. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I don't think that's Revelation 12 future or past. I think that's present right now as these guys are going forward with the authority and power of Christ. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. In real time, Jesus is seeing the spiritual darkness fall. And I've given you authority to tread on serpents, scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But what? As cool as that is, and sometimes doing ministry and serving Jesus is phenomenal. I mean, it's like a drug when you see the spiritual strongholds of someone's life broken. When you see a turn in someone's life, it is, I can't get enough of it. I love being a pastor for that reason. Because I get to be in those conversations constantly where you just see scales fall from people's eyes. And as cool as that is, what does he say? Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. (laughs) Come on. Sometimes it feels like as we're going along the way with Jesus... Maybe this is, I, I don't know. So I've, on Instagram, I love following like tear down homes, like cheap old homes or people's like refurbishing, like just demolished homes where they go down to the studs and then they just bring the home back to life. You guys have seen this? But what it feels like sometimes is we don't view our lives that way. We view our lives as kind of a refresh that needs paint and carpet. And that Jesus is kind of lucky to have us on his team. Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a pretty good guy. And you're lucky to have me. And I'm happy to join you on what you're doing in this world, but I understand that I'm part of the A team. Versus, do we actually see and rejoice that we were in abandoned foreclosure? And Jesus is just bringing us back to life. Do we rejoice? So, 
And I know, I'm not showing the video, so I, I, I'd love to see if anybody actually knows the reference because we're a bunch of Wisconsin fans around here. But does anybody know who's the coach of the Michigan football team? Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh. Thank you, man. First service. They were just, I'm like, do we have any sports fans in this place at all? So Jim Harbaugh, thank you, fellas. And, and he's, got a, he's got a phrase that he brought to his team. Does anybody know the phrase that, that he brought to the franchise? This might be a little more obscure. So growing up, Jim Harbaugh had a brother, right? They played in a Super Bowl a couple years ago. Man, maybe a decade ago now. Um, and, and they didn't grow up ne- necessarily with as much economic engine power. And so their dad had a phrase. And, and, and they would go on these family trips. And he would have a phrase to instill confidence in them as a family. He would turn to his boys in the midst of whatever activity was happening. And he'd tell his family, who has it better than us? To which they would respond, nobody. And if they didn't respond with as much vigor or passion or excitement, he would just say it again, who's got it better than us? Nobody. And he brought this to the Michigan culture because there was a a winning culture he wanted to bring in. Here's what Jesus is saying to us. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Who's got it better than us? I'm going to try one more time. Who's got it better than us? Nobody. Nobody. That we are entrusted with God's gospel message. That we actually are entrusted with his power. Every conversation, every place you go, there is a spiritual authority and weight you bring simply by being an ambassador of Christ. And we find great joy in being those representatives. But make no mistake, we find the greatest joy in having our eternal destiny secured, standing secure as his children. And as special as that is, Jesus now gives us a peek behind the curtain of what makes him smile. There's only two places in the New Testament we see Jesus rejoice, this being one of them. So we would love to pay attention to what makes Jesus rejoice. Here's what he says. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise. (laughs) And understanding and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So, so we're going to spend a little time. But man, there's so much here. I'd encourage you, go have a conversation with someone. But what brings Jesus joy? Here's what he says. He says there's a beautiful relationship with God the Father. In that same hour in the Holy Spirit, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, such was your gracious will. Why do we have it so good? Because Jesus purposed, the Father revealed Jesus to the unlikely. Not the people that were the wise, the understanding, but actually the Father in his gracious will reveals Jesus to us. And then he continues... And the Father has given all authority to Jesus. All things. 
Jesus says, have been handed over to me by my Father, this authority to continue to move the kingdom forward. And then he continues about this beautiful, absolutely unique relationship. If you wonder where the picture of the Trinity comes from, here would be one of the texts we go to, this beautiful, unique relationship. We don't believe there's three gods. There is one God, three persons. And the Father and Jesus share this absolutely unique relationship. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father or who the Father is except the Son. There's There's a mystery to who this God is. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And our names are written in heaven. How did that happen? Here's what he says. Jesus reveals the beauty of God's gospel to those he chooses. No one knows the Son except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and, and who? And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The weight of what it means to believe that no one has it better than us just continues to grow. And Jesus sends us out as laborers into the field, believing there are more people that will treasure Christ if we go. And then he gives this blessing to his disciples here. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and desire to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. This is what he's calling us to. He says, we actually get to see and hear what most, including many privileged, never get to experience. And we enjoy the confidence that is found in knowing that God has moved to reveal Jesus to us. That if you sit here and you've treasured Christ, you can hear with greater confidence that God actually moved in your heart to draw you to himself. And if you've yet to treasure Christ and yet you're here, you might be on someone's pray watch list. They're praying that you would come to know Christ and knowing that God has moved us to reveal Jesus to us. And so we're inspired to bring Jesus to those who need him, assured that God is working in and through us. Who are those names that come to mind? Who are those three to five faces that you're praying for that God might be drawing them to himself? And then we are happier than anyone else because who's got it better than us? Nobody. And so what would it look like in our Monday to Saturday? I got a few encouragements for us. First, I hope a renewed confidence. Prayer is the work. Where's the first place Jesus goes when he sends them out? He says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. So who are you praying for? If you already are, be watching with a little bit more intentionality, believing God is stirring hearts. We have this movement in different spheres of our life, in our public space, in our social space, in kind of a more intimate personal space, ultimately longing for people to find life with Christ. And then, Do we matter in that process? Oh man, our response matters. Jesus sends out the 72 and they return with joy because there was a movement that took place as they went in their spheres of influence, in their homes, in their neighborhoods, in their world. And what did they do? I I think there's just a simplicity. They just told the story. 
just told a story of what was taking place in their life, of who King Jesus was and what he had been doing in their life. And then around here, we encourage, tell many gospel stories that we actually see many gospel stories all over the place of God creating this world and designing it for good, and yet a recognition of the brokenness and hurt that exists, but the restoration that's promised in the cross and the longing for a new creation that's yet to come. And as valuable as that is, what did we see in verse 21 to 24? His faithfulness matters the most. That he is at work. He is drawing people and we get to join God in what he's doing. And so the inevitable byproduct, those that follow Jesus go. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And then uh, as they begin, uh, we're going to take communion together together. and so as they begin to play, I'll, I'll invite you up after I pray. As you feel led, come and receive the elements. Take them back to your seat and we will take them collectively. Reflect before taking the elements. And if you've yet to treasure Christ, I would say don't come up and grab one of these. <laughs> because th- this is a reflection of faith of Christ's body and blood that we Take as in a remembrance of him. And so as they begin to play, I'd encourage you, pause and then come up, receive the elements, take them back, and we will take them collectively. Pray with me. Oh, God, you are so kind to us. Who has it better than us? God, we cried, nobody. You have transformed our lives. You've given us the greatest gift. And as a reflection of that hope we go faithfully to, the, to those around us that have yet to treasure you. Help us experience that a little bit more fully as we continue to worship. Always for your glory we pray. Amen.